Hey, we're doing a, so if you're giving your offering, getting coffee or anything like that, you can just make your way in as soon as possible. But for the rest of us, let's just say it together. It's time. Oh, I got two of you. Come on. It's time to start. So we're doing a series on divine direction. Anybody need divine direction? Anybody need help making decisions? Yes. So this is the third part of a probably a four or five part series. And the first part was... Um, Understanding that we need, to be, we need to know who we are. The who comes before the what. Last week we talked about storms. Just in time for the hurricane. And then uh, this week we're going to talk about wisdom. So marketers, and there's a whole job system that's called sociology. Anybody ever heard of that? And what it is, is it's the study of people. Why people do what people do. And so they've studied, one of the things they study is they study current generations and they try to project the future generations in order to get the marketers the information so that they can sell us more, more stuff, right? That's how this works. So sociologists have been studying this generation and one of the things they've realized is that this is a very indecisive generation. <laughs> Our current generation doesn't like to make decisions. It's almost become a cultural phenomenon. And one of the reasons we don't make decisions, they say, this is some of the information they gathered, was because of the number of choices. We have more choices now than we've ever had. Anybody, I know ladies are gonna appreciate this, and husbands are gonna be like, you got that right. Is like, we ever try to paint your room or paint a house or anything like that? You never knew there were so many colors of blue until you went to Home Depot or to the paint store and realized, oh my gosh, I didn't know there were 82 colors of blue. Wow, you know, we have more, and then so what ends up happening when we used to do this, when Sherry and I would be painting our house, is it would be like whatever color she'd pick, and I'd have like 40 swatches of color on the wall, you know, every shade that she wanted, until we decided, and then she'd go, oh, I don't want blue at all, I think I want yellow, you know, so it would be like, okay. Well, what happens is, what they learn is, is that the fewer choices that we have, the more, the more uh, quality of a decision that we'll make. If you only have two, dis two choices, you're going to make a more accurate choice. So these are just some of the reasons why we, we we're indecisive. Another one is the illusion of perfection. Social media is wonderful, right? You guys love social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. While that's wonderful, what it does is it gives us the illusion that everybody else's life is perfect. You ever feel that? Because nobody posts their bad stuff. They only post the highlight reel, the perfect vacation, the perfect meal, the perfect whatever, the perfect car. You know, you're all, they're always in the, and then you look at that and you go, man, my life sucks. I can't believe this, this is terrible. And we, so we, do, we don't wanna make a decision because we don't wanna come across as being wrong. This is stuff that contributes to this. We don't wanna make a mistake or we don't wanna make an imperfect decision is one of the reasons why we don't. Christians suffer a lot with this because they don't wanna displease the Lord or they don't wanna do anything that's quote unquote outside of his will. When you realize that God works through imperfect plans. So when you have the scripture, you have something called uh, uh, moral imperatives. You have don't do this, do this, and in between there's this gray matter, which is you decide. So while God will not, we're going to share this a little bit in a minute, while God will not make the decision for you in those areas, he will give you wisdom to decide. So in other words, if it doesn't have a moral imperative attached to it, you find yourself in the greatest zone of decision, such as what job should I take, right? There's no moral imperative that says, thus saith the Lord, you must do this. But, you know, there are absolutes. There are absolutes within the scripture. There are standards, righteous standards or holy standards where he says this is not, this is an absolute, don't do this, don't do that. But in these other areas, it's a decision. So if you don't think God works through imperfect uh, plans, look at this one. Here's Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And we think, oh man, these guys had it all figured out. You know, they'd get downloads from heaven. They would have 20 paths. For, they would have the divine plan of God and they knew what they were doing at all times. Well, not really. 1 Corinthians 16, watch. Paul's writing to them and he said, it may be that I will return or even spend time with you in the winter and that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. So he has no clue. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. So here's Paul with a plan. This is his, this is his five point plan as to what he's going to do at, at this time in his life. And he really doesn't have a clue. You see, and so God doesn't work. God doesn't need perfection. He doesn't need a perfect plan in order to do something. Even imperfect plans, he works through. Next slide. 
how the Lord leads. This is important. Okay, So there's a whole series that can be done on how the Lord leads us. But just for the sake of today, we're going to talk about a few bullets about how the Lord actually leads us. It's important as believers that we understand that He will lead us and how He is actually going to lead us. The first one is humility. Everybody say it with me. Humility. Humility. <laughs> humility is when you understand that you don't know it all. Hello? You don't have any good ideas. You really don't even know anything. And what you do know is nothing in compared to what it will be when you connect it to Jesus. It's a willingness to ask and to submit yourself to the answer. This is what humility is. I don't have all the answers. And so this happens even in churches. We get locked into theology. We think we know everything there is to know. And we are completely unteachable and we're completely unmoldable because we've become rigid in our knowledge. It happens with pastors. It happens in seminaries. We know all there is to know. Really? Churches are locked in revelation that was given hundreds of years ago. God gives revelation in order for it to grow and to be built upon. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Everything is to be built on. So a lot of the things that the church is standing in, we, we have inbreakings of revelation and we build a monument there. Just like Peter, uh, uh, Peter, James, and John when they were up on the mountain and Jesus transfigured to them, they had a revelation. Wow, this guy's the Son of God. This guy is God incarnate. So they had the revelation. And what did they want to do? They wanted to build a monument and they wanted to stay there. We need to stay here. You know, we've never seen the glory before. This is the place we need to stay. And a lot of times when God releases revelation, we build monuments and we try to stay there. And we never realize that what God laying down is a foundation for a greater understanding. The realms of his kingdom are endless. The foundations of his kingdom are endless. David said, how unsearchable are your depths. They are without end. When we think we know everything, we've actually become fools. We become wise in our own eyes. It's not that we don't apply what we learn or establish it, but we realize that there's always more. There's always more. That's what we have to understand. He's the God of abundance. He's, there's no limitation in heaven. There's no want in heaven. There's no need in heaven. In my Father's house, there's many mansions, rooms, dimensions. Choose it as you say. That's exactly what it means. There's realms. There's levels. There's kingdoms. That's how it is. We have to be willing to ask and to submit ourselves to the answer. Here's the problem. We don't know things because we don't ask the Lord. Intellectual, arrogant people we are oftentimes, and this is again with, with particularly high learning churches, Bible teaching churches, which we are, what we do is we, get, we teach the people, the people get filled with all the right knowledge, but they couldn't care less. I know Christians that can quote the Bible like a machine gun, but they don't know how to activate power. They don't know how to earn the promises. Their life's a train wreck. While they got the foundation of the scripture in them, They've not moved into applying it. They've not moved into understanding it. They've not moved into releasing it. It happens. So we have to be willing to ask the questions. So when, while we're learning, we have to begin to ask God questions. And then we need to submit to the answer. Say it with me. Submit, submit. To, the to the answer. I shared with you a few weeks ago that this is a huge dimension of relationship with the Lord, is that when we ask Him questions, say it with me, I'm not always going to like the answer. Things don't change because we think we know it all. Things don't change because we don't ask questions. Then things don't change because we ask Jesus the initial question and He says something to us that we don't like. He offends us. Jesus is a rock of offense. He doesn't do it to hurt you. He does it to test you. He'll say things to you. I use myself all the time. Use this. I use this a couple weeks ago. I'll use it again. I use it last service. I'm going to the Lord and I'm asking the Lord why this doesn't work. Why these things aren't happening. What's going on in this area? So I'm not asking him to change a situation. I know it's his will. So I'm not saying, Lord, change this situation. I'm asking him to observe the situation on my behalf and tell me what's wrong. Look at this as if, as if he already doesn't know, but I'm asking him to look on my behalf and inform me of what's missing here or what's wrong. What he says to me in this situation, this particular one, I could give you more examples than this one, as he said, your problem is that you have the sin of unbelief, Kevin. <gasps> what? I have the sin of unbelief? Sin of unbelief is not the sin of condemnation. 
Sin of unbelief is the sin of the church. Oh, we pretend like we're believers, but we really don't believe. Because if we truly believe, we would act and respond differently. If you truly believe. And that's what the Lord, I was like, Lord, how can you tell me everything in my life is based on faith? Measure my life and see where there's no faith. We do strength finder analysis. Kevin's number one is value and belief. That's my number one. So for God to hit me right in the heart with that one, I had to ask. So here's what happens. God will tell you something. What's wrong with my marriage, Lord? Look at the marriage on my behalf and what's wrong. And he's going to go, the problem is your arrogance. The problem is your lack of love or the problem is your lack of humility. <gasps> no, it's my wife. You can't tell me it's my problem. How dare you tell me it's my problem? Or the woman will ask on behalf, Lord, what is the problem with my marriage? Look on it on my behalf. The problem is your negativity, your criticism, your lack of honor. Oh, it couldn't possibly be me. It has to be him. Jesus deals with specks and planks. And anytime we ask Jesus, he's not interested in specks, people. He's interested in planks. He's not going to deal with the other person. He's going to deal with you. And he's going to tell you something you don't like. Because he wants to see if you're going to respond. Syrophoenician woman comes to him, says, heal my daughter. He says, you don't give what is holy to dogs. That sounds like an offensive statement to me. He just called the woman a dog. He said, you're not in covenant with me. I have no right to honor you. Healing is the children's bread. It doesn't belong to you. Why are you asking me for something that doesn't belong to you? You have common grace. You have rain. You have basic provision. But what you're asking me for is not yours, neither by right nor inheritance. But it is ours. And so she's asking him, and he says to her, you don't give what is holy to dogs. And he looks at her. Crickets. He never apologizes for saying it. He doesn't say, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. He just looks at her and says that, and he waits for a response. Is she going to push away? How dare he call me a dog? Run away, push away, or is she going to humble herself? And she said, even dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And what happened? He blessed her then, didn't he? When he saw the response that she had to his offense, he offended her. So when Jesus offends you and he says you have the sin of unbelief Kevin this is why this isn't working and I'm like what and so I got three choices I can a push away and go pout and suck my thumb in the corner and say Jesus doesn't love me because he told me I had the sin of, of offense nom, 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 nom. poor me I can have a little pity party or two I can try to figure it out myself he said I have sin of unbelief okay I got to figure that out all right so I got to run over there that's not what he wants either he wants me to ask him another question. If you understand your relationship with the Lord, if you want encounter, if you want everything to stay the same, then don't do anything. But if you want transformation, begin to ask questions. And keep asking questions, and keep asking questions, and don't, de don't deceive yourself. Let him tell you straight. Grab the chair, sit down in a chair, and let him tell you. Most Christians, they live, in, they live in Neverland, or they live in Wonderland, or they live in delusion, because they don't want God to tell them anything. I want him to tell me. David said, search me and know me. Know if there's anything, what? Wrong in me. Whatever's not right in me, make it right. Whatever my problem is, or why this isn't happening, so he would tell me he got sin of unbelief. So my next question would be, where's the sin of unbelief? And he'd go, right there. And I'd go, but how does that have anything to do with this? And he'd tell me, if you truly believed I am who I said I am, you wouldn't be acting the way that you are. If you truly believed that what I said was true, you wouldn't be doing or not doing what I told you to do. Oh, poor pastor. Guess what? It's blanketed across the church. This is the sin of the church, sin of unbelief. We say God's a God of power and healing, yet we never lay hands on the sick. Sin of unbelief. Oh, we say God's a God of blessing, yet we never tithe. Sin of unbelief. Pick one. Go down the list. We say that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but we never step out in risk. Sin of unbelief. Epidemic across the church. Show me this. Push right into my heart and say, there's the problem. Your sin of unbelief is because you are not acting according to what I said. Therefore, the, act, the promises cannot themselves activate. So therefore, you cannot receive what it is that I want you to receive. And see, here again is the delusion. This is how, God, this is how the devil lies to us. Well, see, God made a promise, and you're not getting the promise. So he must not be a good God, is he? And then we go, we make a partnership. Oh, you're right, devil. God's not a good God. God doesn't love me. You're completely wrong. 
You have to realign. You have to always know. So if you had the, the cornerstone of all faith is God is good, period. That's right. The second one, he will be good to me in spite of myself. That's the second one. One, he's good. He's worthy. Number two, he's made me worthy. Until you get those two things corrected, nothing else is going to move. And then you go to him, okay, well, if you're good all the time, and you are always after my good, and you always love me, and I am blessed by you, by your word, no matter what I say or do, or no matter what the, what the situation is, why am I not inheriting the blessing? And he's going to tell you. He's going to tell you. And you're not going to like it. You're not going to like it. He's going to tell you. He's going to tell you to you straight. Why isn't the marriage working? Because you're arrogant. Because you fail to see all you do is complain because this is what's happening. Why isn't my finances working? Because you're not doing what I told you to do. You're not following my principles. Why isn't this working? Because you isolate yourself and you alienate yourself and you think you can do it all by yourself. Oh, I don't want to hear that. Really? Nobody wants to hear it. You have to be willing to ask the question. And the better is say it with me. Submit to the answer. If he gives you something that doesn't require another question, then just do it. But if he gives you something that requires another question, what do you think you should do? That's right. So if he says to you, you have the sin of unbelief, well, that to me has another question. Because I'm like, I'm having a hard time with that. What do you mean I have sin of unbelief? Sin of unbelief is knowing what to do and not doing it. To them it is sin. Sin of unbelief is says God's a God of promise, God's a God of purpose, God's a God of redemption. God will tell you to do insignificant things. I shared this last week. He'll tell you, you're asking him for destiny, you're asking him for hope. And he gives you and tells you to do something that seems completely unrelated to what you asked him for. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. This, is why, this, is, this is Christianity in relationship form, is what I'm giving you. I'm not giving you Christianity in religious form, this is relationship form. You're saying, Lord, this is what I want, and he'll go do that. And I've had areas in my own life, I had a two-year correction going on with myself, because I keep coming back to this, and I'm like, why? Why? And the Lord points back to something he told me two years ago. And I didn't do it. And I wasn't doing it. And you know why I wasn't doing it? It wasn't doing it because I was disobedient, even though I was. My attitude was, that's insignificant. That's a waste of my time. That seems completely irrelevant to where I feel that you're calling me. What you just told me does not line up, in my mind, with where you're calling me. So I didn't value what he told me. And until I began to value what it was that he told me and go back and do the former things, nothing else opened up to me. And it's funny, I went back to do the very simple little thing that I thought was a waste of my time. And I'm like, nevertheless, at your word, okay, Peter with the boat, letting down the net. Nevertheless, what you say, I will do. And I started doing it. And it something amazing happened. All this other stuff started opening up to me. And I started seeing things and understanding what was going on and seeing how it related. Whereas before, until I did it, nothing opened up to me. There's something he's not going to tell you until you start doing it. Once you start doing it, all of a sudden things start opening up to you. And I, what I was not doing is I was not humbling. I was like, this is insignificant. This, this is going to be a waste my time. I've wasted so much time in my life. Hello. Anybody got to, can I get a witness? You're like, you don't want to waste any more time. You're like, he told me to do this, but yeah, I'll get to that at some point. And I'm over here and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And I'm like, what's the problem, Lord? Why do I feel like I can't move forward? And he goes, go back and do that. Do what I told you to do. Finish what I told you to start. And once I started it, he not only gave me the power to do it, but all this other stuff opened up to me. We don't understand these things. That God builds things into our lives by season, by, by steps. It's chained together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And what will happen? He will direct your paths. So that's what's called a conditional promise. We want the Lord's direction, but we have to meet the condition of the promise. We have to trust Him. We have to acknowledge him, and then the direction comes. If you're not trusting him or even acknowledging him in your business, if you're not acknowledging him in your family, if you're not acknowledging him in your personal life, he, there's going to be little to no direction. The promise will not activate until you meet the condition. The word trust is the word aspire, and it means to direct your hopes or desires. So when we trust, that means our hope 
and our desire is being pressed. This is what I'm hoping for, Lord. This is what I'm believing for. Guide me. Lead me. And what it's called in the Greek, so we have something called uh, an emphatic imperative, which is a command. This statement is called an infinite absolute. So the way it's phrased in the Greek is it is an infinite absolute. It is something that is to go on all the time. And it's an absolute, which means it must happen. It, there's a must attached to it. So when we're, when we're trusting in the Lord, it's, it's a perpetual trust and an occurrence. It's a direction of our hearts, our desires, our wants, our needs, our, you know, our identity, everything. Our world into His, His world into ours. It's continual. You understand that? And so the leadership of the Spirit doesn't get activated in Christians' lives because they're not acknowledging Him. You're not asking and you're not submitting to the answer. And I can bear this out in many ways in my life. And a lot of things I go through is so that I can experience it in order to teach you. So that the Word becomes flesh to you. So it becomes reality. It's not just words on a page or stories that I'm up here telling. I'm giving you reality. I'm giving you activation of faith. Stuff, and I, trust me, I go through a lot of stuff. And I know that the stuff, a lot of stuff I go through is not for me. It is partly, but it's mainly because of the position I hold to teach the people and to model to the people what, the, what this actually looks like. And a lot of pastors don't want to go there, and I'm not picking on pastors. Come on. Well, thank you. <laughs> but they don't want to go there because it requires something of them, and it requires a level of vulnerability. I don't know anybody's going to stand up here and go, the Lord told me I have the sin of unbelief. But that's what he told me. When's the last time you heard a pastor say that? God told me I had to sin of unbelief. It's not condemning faith. Like, oh man, that guy, pastor, doesn't have any faith. Look at my, that's what I was like. I was like, look at my life. He's like, you're not believing me, Kevin. If you were believing me, you'd be acting differently. And so what he taught me, here's the key. What he taught me is that I need to believe in spite of what I'm feeling. I need to act in spite of the circumstances around me. And while that's interesting in principle where we all theorize this, we have Christian theorists, but we have very few practitioners. Come on. There's a difference. Come on. Lots of theorists. Oh, the theorists in the pulpit, the theorists in the congregation. Everybody's got a theory. But nobody's practicing it. So if we don't practice it, we don't manifest it. We don't make it known. And so he told me that in spite of the way that you're feeling, I need you to choose faith. And there you go. You can be in faith and fear at the same time. And which means your emotions are completely freaking out. But in your heart, you have determined faith. And so for all those who would theologically correct me, I would simply point to Jesus in the garden when he's trembling over the cup. He's freaking out. Can we agree with that? He's freaking out of not the fear of man, but the, with the wrath that's going to come on him. The wrath of God was going to come on him. And that was, he was afraid. Take the cup from me. My flesh is weak. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will. So here you have his flesh freaking out, but in his heart, he has determined faith. We get into guilt and condemnation because we judge our lives based upon our flesh. We say, oh, because I was feeling afraid, I must be in fear. Well, your flesh can be having a meltdown, but you can choose faith. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The world can be burning down around you, and you can be choosing faith in the midst of that. Come on. That's what it looks like. So we have to move into these places in order to activate these types of things. It's an infinite absolute. You can choose God in spite of what's going on around you. A friend of mine, she did a business, a lot of businesses, and she said she told the Lord, the Lord was to do all these things, and she was at a really fragile place in her life. But God was telling her to do things that were so far surpassing her. And she said, Lord, I'm afraid. And he said to her, then do it afraid. That's what he said. You know what I'm talking about? That's right. I'm afraid. Fear's not the excuse. Never the excuse. God, doesn't, God does not accept your fear as an excuse, ever. We can go, I could give you stories. There's stories in the Bible where he doesn't accept it. Parable of the talents. I was afraid. He didn't accept it as an excuse. Tells us in Revelation that cowardly lose their inheritance. Fear's not an excuse. He's done it all. He's just asking you for something. Give me something to work with. So God speaks to us through humility. He speaks to us through courage. Courage. We step out and we do things. That's how God guides our life. Some of you, you've had the Lord speak things over your life. You have visions or plans, even if it's something really small, like I was talking about, that seems very insignificant. You know the Lord has spoken to you, or you know it's in your heart to do that, but you've done nothing with it. So therefore, God can lead you no further because you will not take the step into courage. David said this. David said to Solomon, so okay, he's speaking to Solomon. 
got a lot of work ahead of him. He said, be strong and courageous. And everybody say this with me. Do the work. Christianity's work, people. You say, no, it's beds and ease and Jesus and comfort and fairy Jesus sprinkling good dust on us all the time. That's what it is. The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is the word ergon or ergos, which is, means exert or, or energy. That's where we get that. Exousia is a release. Ergo is energy. Use the energy of the kingdom to work outwardly the things that he has set before us. The kingdom of God is work. We, we think that faith isn't work. It's work. But you, you know who you're working against? You're working, say it with me, I'm working, I'm working. Against, me. against me. You're not really working against me. I mean, you got a devil, but most of the problem, most of the time, the devil's power comes through you. Through the lies that you believe, through the attitudes that you have, and through the paradigms from which you see the world. You're partnering with him. You're agreeing with him. God's think, thoughts are not our thoughts, neither are his ways our ways. We have to submit ourselves unto the Lord, see things differently, lose the paradigm from which we view if we're ever going to learn. God will leave you in blindness. He will let the blind lead the blind until eternity comes. He'll leave you on the ground and he'll leave you there until it matters to you. You have to be willing to change. I tell the church this all the time. Jesus isn't going to work any harder than you. He's not. The kingdom of God is a partnership. It has been so from the beginning. Adam was created to partner with the, with the Lord to manifest the kingdom. It's the same thing in the New Testament. We are created and brought into the kingdom to partner with Jesus to release the kingdom. Jesus isn't going to do it all by himself. He's not going to do it corporately. He's not going to do it in the world. And he's not going to do it individually until you pony up and take your rightful place. It's true. Just ships passing in the night, just flutter it as it goes by. We have to step up into our rightful place. We have to have courage. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord my God is my... So he's telling Solomon, the God that you've seen with me, the God whose power you've known through my life, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. And you say, well, I don't really have a vision or a direction from the Lord. And I would tell you, go back to point one and humble yourself under the Lord's hand and begin to ask him. Ask him. He's going to give you simple directions. I'll share with you one more. You guys want one more? Yes. All right, I'll put myself... I'm going to like a lamb to the slaughter. <laughs> when I was a young believer, I was very new in the faith. I probably hadn't been walking with the Lord or knowledge, I should say, for more than four months. Pastor did a vision series in the first of the year, and he said, ask the Lord what he has for you. Ask the Lord who you are, what you are, why you are. Ask God to start revealing things about your life. I said, what do you, what, what do you want from my life? I asked him this question four months in, and he said, you'll lead my people. That's what he told me. I'm four months into the faith. I don't know my left hand from my right hand. You know, I'm thinking the book of Job is the book of job. You know, like how to get a job, right? <laughs> oh, I need to read this. Yeah, I got to figure that one out. Malachi is Malachi, right? The, the Italian prophet. So I don't know anything, but he tells me you're going to lead my people. What I was not wise enough, so I began to prepare myself in every way that I could, and I always held that in the back of my heart, that at some point this was going to happen. What I didn't do when I was younger, which is what I do now that I'm older because I've learned, what I'm giving you here, I told this the first service, I'm sharing things whether you want it or not is irrelevant to me, but God wants it brought forth so I will bring it forth. These things have cost me years of my life, and the things that I give you are free, but it's cost somebody something. So the stuff I'm telling you is gold. The stuff I'm telling you isn't theory. The stuff I'm telling you is activation power. The kingdom manifests through the things I'm telling you. So it's, if you are wise, you'll hear. And what I didn't do when I was younger is I didn't ask him, how do I get there? I didn't ask that question. I started figuring it out on my own. Oh, the Lord said I'm going to lead the people. So I need to go to Bible school. I need to go to leadership training. And so I gave four years of my life to that, right? But now that I'm older, when he says things over my life, I ask him the question that I didn't ask in my youth. You understand that? And that makes the world a difference because what happens is, is when he tells you something and you try to do it on your own, it's going to end in frustration because he's going to let you know that you're not smart enough to do what I told you to do. <laughs> you need me. So he tells me, you're a builder, Kevin. That's what he speaks over me. And I'm a builder, so let's go build things. I start running around trying to build things. What's that? That's not correct. I need to, it, it, there's room for another question. What do you want me to build? 
How do you want me to build? In what way? I used to come in from building construction, so somebody would say, oh, maybe that means I need to go back and do, start building houses again. Or maybe I need to start doing commercial renovation. Or maybe whatever it is, you know, I could start thinking, oh, the Lord told me I'm a builder. I guess I'm not a pastor. He's told me I gotta go be a builder. So I'm gonna go be a builder because that's what the Lord said. People do that. Rather than saying, what is it that you're asking of me? I want you to build for me. Okay. What do you want me to build for you? Ah, and then you feel the movement. You may not have the answer, but you feel the movement. In other words, the answer's coming. I'm going to start showing you things. And part of the stuff that I didn't do two years ago was because it was things he told me to build. And I didn't do it because I didn't think it was right. Because I thought it was insignificant. How does that contribute to that? He was telling me, I want you to build that. I want you to do that because that's going to lead to that. You see how this works? It's an amazing thing. So we need to begin to ask the Lord, what does he have for you? Who am I? What am I? Why am I? Let the Lord tell you. Let him speak. Let him say daughter. Let him say king. Let him say ruler. Let him say builder. Let him say servant. Let him say leader. Let him say whatever it is he says. Whatever he says, and it's going to be good, I can assure you. He, Jesus is always in a good mood. He has nothing bad to say about you ever. Ever. His thoughts towards you are peace and blessing. That's how he thinks towards you. Let him say, and then begin to ask him, well, what does it mean to be a daughter, Lord? And let him begin to tell you. What does it mean to be a leader? Let him tell you. Let him begin to speak over you and then speak to you in regard to what he says to you. The world is constantly talking to you. I don't know if you're aware of that. The world is constantly telling you who and what you are. Why don't we begin to let the Lord begin to tell us? Not just in a universal way, which I try to do, but let him begin to tell you individually who you are, what you are, why you are. Let him begin to do that. So courage is the second one. Next, next slide. Mistakes. He learned you learn through your mistakes. Can I get a witness? Amen. We have a perfectionism mentality in the church. We're so afraid of mistakes. When in fact, it's mistakes that make us better than what we were. We learn more from mistakes than we do from successes. Job said this, teach me and I will be quiet. Show me where I'm wrong. And then I love this verse. How painful are the honest words? <laughs> He's asking the question. And what does Jesus do? He probably started telling Job. Here's the problem, Job. And then he's like, ah, oh, how painful are the honest words? You know? He's going to tell you. You have, a, you have a problem. Why can't I move forward in my faith? Because you let everybody else dictate your time. <gasps> you have a boundary issue. <gasps> You have a problem saying no. <gasps> no, I don't, Lord. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Rather than now you partner with him, he tells you, you got a boundary issue. What's the next question? What would you ask off that? If he spoke to your heart and said, you have a boundary issue, what would you ask him? Anybody? Where's the boundary issue? And then let him show you. And then the question after that is, how do I fix it? And let him show you. And he may start pointing to little things. He might start pointing to different things. He might start shifting the attitudes to asking God, you need an attitude change. Okay, Lord, I can't change on my own. Help me with the attitude. Tap me on the shoulder every time I'm violating a boundary. And you know what you're going to be doing? Somebody's going to come up to you and you're going to be violating a boundary and the Lord's going to go. Because you just empowered him to, do, to work on your behalf. But unless the partnership is there, the kingdom is not activated. It's partnership. It's design. It's how he's made it. Jesus will not choose for you, but he will give you the wisdom to decide. Unless there's a moral imperative, he will lead you by wisdom of the Spirit. Proverbs says this, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Everybody say with me. Get wisdom. Get wisdom. Though it costs you everything, say, though it costs me everything, I must get understanding. Wisdom and understanding is how God created the universe. By wisdom, he laid the foundation. By understanding, he framed the worlds. You don't think things can be made with wisdom, but here's the deal. There's a difference between human wisdom and there's a difference between divine wisdom. Can, I agree, can, can we agree with that? Yeah. Human, natural wisdom, and let's use the other word, supernatural wisdom. Which one would you like? Right. Human wisdom or divine wisdom? Which one would you like? Right. What the believer has that nobody else has, it's one of the gifts and benefits. Jesus not only saves you, but there's an amazing benefit package. I don't know if you're aware of that. And most people have 401s and all kinds of things in their benefit package that they haven't even tapped. We leave our harvest in the field and we don't access the resources that Jesus gave his blood for you to have. 
If he paid his blood for it, I want it. You should too. He paid such a precious price for you to have it. It is a dishonor to him to not want it. If you're not little ones, it's his pleasure to give you the kingdom. He said, this matters to me. I want to give my sons and daughters this. And he paid with his blood. Salvation, yes. But also gifts and promises. Abilities. Access. Access to the divine realm. Wisdom is readily available to the believer. You have access to a world of wisdom that nobody else in the world has. You can stand out in your job. You can stand out in your workplace. You can stand out in your school simply by accessing the wisdom of heaven. People, come on. It's true. You're going to see and know things that nobody else knows. And they're all going to wonder. I was 20 years old, working building construction, fresh out of school, in a new environment, in a new place, over large commercial projects. I'm working, and immediately the foreman recognizes something about me and says, hey, I want you to start doing these things. I basically became the lead guy on very large commercial properties. And they were like, like I'm talking like IBM, you know, huge department stores we were building, all that stuff. And I was just a kid. Well, you're so smart, Kevin. No. I asked the Lord to show me. And I had insight. And I had people beyond my years looking at me going, how do you know this at 21, 22 years old? How do you know how to do what you're doing? Because the Lord showed me. He not only gave me insight, but he gave me an ability to understand what was already there. So I could understand the practical things that were already there, and then he gave me understanding into things that I didn't know. And I stood out. You don't think Jesus wants us to be the head and the tail? Isn't that what the Bible says? We are an exceptional people. We're to be above only and not beneath. That's what your Bible says. That's the promise over the life of the believer. Above only, not beneath. That's for me and my house. Anyway. <laughs> Failure is not final, okay? So wisdom is readily available to the believer. Next slide. If you lack wisdom, ask for it. There again, there's the relationship. He gives it generously without finding fault. In other words, he doesn't condemn you. You go, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing here. I really need your wisdom and insight. And he doesn't go, you dummy. I've told you this five times, Kevin. When are you ever going to get it? He doesn't act like that. Or he doesn't tell you, I've told you five things before. You didn't listen to me there. Why should I do it now? He isn't going to find fault for your asking. So that's a barrier with us. We think God's going to reject us. That's a human issue. That's not a divine issue. Jesus said, all who come to me, I will in no way cast away. That's a promise. He's not going to reject you. No matter what state you come to him in, he's not going to reject you. The Spirit of the Lord is on us, so it's not just a promise that we ask for. It comes with the anointing. Everybody say it with me. Wisdom, Wisdom. comes with the anointing. So what's the key? If you want to access wisdom... Get into the anointing. Get into the Spirit. Access the anointing. Get in the Spirit. And once you're in the Spirit, you're connected outside the matrix. You're connected to the mind of Christ. You now see and think from His world. You have insights, understanding, revelation. That's why some of you, when you're under the anointing, you feel like a genius. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Huh? You get in the Spirit and you're like, wow, man, I understand things. You counsel somebody from the Spirit, you're like, man, I be a counselor. I mean, that was, I don't know what I said today, but that was amazing. Because it's the anointing that's doing it. It's the Spirit. We're carriers of the anointing. Get in the anointing. Let the Lord rest and center yourself in the Spirit and begin to let Him show you. Begin to partner with what it is that He has for you. It's part of the anointing. Jesus died and shed His blood for the anointing. That is the presence, the power, and the atmosphere of the Spirit in, through, and upon your life. If you will not access it, regardless of your excuses, you are not honoring God. And I would say to you, your sin is not unbelief, but your sin is dishonor. Christians avoid the anointing like the plague for some reason. Not everybody, not this church. <laughs> we like it. <laughs> yeah, this is cool. But we don't want it. They don't want the anointing for whatever reason, because it makes them feel uncomfortable. It makes them feel outside of themselves. Well, you're going to feel outside of yourself because you are outside of yourself. Your true being is your, who you are in the anointing. Uh, so I tell you guys, when you get in the spirit, you like you, don't you? When you're in the spirit, you're like, man, I love me. I'm, I was like, I wasn't too sure how I thought about myself this morning, but now that I'm with Jesus, I think I like myself a lot. You know what I'm talking about? You like your parents, you like your husband, you like you, whoever. You like some, you love people in the anointing. That's why you can love like crazy. You're like, oh, love, yeah. Then you get home and you're like, ah, oh, then you're making your kill list again. Need to get even with that guy. I need to, you know, you're plotting your revenge. 
And you're like, how is this different? Because who you really are is the person you are in the anointing. So get in the anointing. Anointing is available to the believer 24-7. You've got to realize that. The well is there. You've got to drop the bucket. If you don't drop the bucket, there's no water. Wisdom is relative to understanding. So God's going to give you, so here it is with the mind of Christ, but God's going to give you wisdom and information about the subject. We need to learn to make better decisions. For instance, Lord, give me wisdom with my finances. Well, you've got three things in play. Number one, you need to know how money works. If you don't know how money works, you're not going to have wisdom in your finances. God's going to use the practical knowledge to apply and, and give you wisdom into it. You need to know what the income is and what the outflow is. If you don't know what the income is and what the outflow is, you're probably not going to have a whole lot of wisdom in, in when it comes to money. Okay? And the third thing is, is you need to know how the economy of heaven works. We need to understand how, the, how God's economy is operative in the life of the believer. So until we learn those things, the wisdom download isn't going to be full. You might get little chips here and there, but you're not going to have a fullness of wisdom on that subject. Learn that information. Learn the scriptures, whether it's relationships, jobs, whatever. You know, those are, those are areas of your life that you need to learn knowledge about. You need to learn yourself. This is a big one. God can't lead you until you know you. You know you. You have to know you. Do you understand that? You're made as a what? What am I? Human and manna, same word. What? What am I? Why am I? God wants you to know who you are. That looks in a lot of different ways. One of the ways it looks is this. We use shape. Spiritual gifts. What are those? What, what supernaturally comes through your life quickly? Some people get in the Spirit and mercy's just all over the place. Some people get in the Spirit and it's power. Some people get in the Spirit and it's encouragement. What is naturally flowing through your life when you're in the Spirit? What is that? What is your heart? What do you desire? God will give you the desires of your heart, but you're never going to get the desires of your heart until you know what it is that you actually want. What are your abilities? These are your natural abilities. What is it that you do very, very well, easily? Whatever that is. Your personality. You like people, you don't like people. You're a people person, you're not a people person. What, 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 how's your personality and how does that shape into what God would give you wisdom? And you've got to know who you are. When you know who you are, you can say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. What are your experiences? What are the things that you've been through? God will teach you through your experiences. So these are the ways that he leads us with wisdom. And he, he wants us to learn. You need to upgrade. I used to ask God, give me insight into your scripture, but I didn't have any Bible in me. How many knows that's not going to work? Right? I thought it was just some supernatural download, like Stephen in the book of Acts. He just started talking. I didn't realize that Stephen was raised in the Jewish community, and he knew the Bible since he was five years old. That's how they taught them. From the time they could first speak, they were taught the scriptures. So why could Stephen quote the scripture like that? Because he'd been taught the scripture since he was five. How could Peter speak the scripture like that? Peter, a fisherman, and he could speak the word of God like crazy, and he knew verses. He could connect to the Messiah because he was taught the Bible from the time he was five. And so here I am thinking, Jesus is just going to boom, and I'm going to have all this insight into the Bible. I had to put it in me. Right? I, had to get, I, had to get, I had to put the scripture in me in order to gain practical wisdom and insight into it. That's how it works. Next slide. Moises, I love you, man. He's wowing me. He's like, wow. I'm like, yeah, wow. That is wow, right? <laughs> Relative to understanding of who you are, what you are, and why you are, wisdom is gained. Here's a big one. Through the company that we keep. Say it. Wisdom is gained through the company that we keep or the company that we fail to keep. Some people don't want to be around wiser people. They don't want to be around smarter people because it makes them somehow feel inferior. That's going to be a problem. You don't need to be the smartest person in the room. You'll never grow. Proverbs says, say it with me, walk with the if I walk with the wise, say it with me, I will become wise. But if I'm a companion of fools, I will come to harm. You cannot live the right life with the wrong people. Or you cannot create a right life without the right people. You need people going in the same direction. You need positively charged people, encouraging people, people that are aspiring towards the same things that you are aspiring towards, or people that are further along in the journey than you are. That's how it works. And you can't feel inferior. You have to feel humble. You've got to be in a room, you know, you're never going to grow if every time you get around you start thinking you're just a loser. Put yourself in environments that are over your head. Put yourself around people who are smarter than you. Put yourself around what someone told me, big arrow people, people that want to have and will have a positive influence over your life. 
Get around those people. Get away from the turkeys. Get with the eagles. Come on. Wisdom comes through experience. So one of the things I want to say is life groups. Life groups is one of the things. It's essential to your Christianity. It's essential to your development. More ministry happens in life groups than it actually does in the church. More interpersonal things happen in the life group than it actually does within the church. So life group signups are all around you. We got one in your area, so I'm sure that you're gonna, I want you to connect with one of those. Sign up with one of those. It's, they're, they're awesome. I don't have a lot much more to say about that because I'm out of, completely out of time. But, um, but that's a big thing, a big part of our faith. I'm almost done. Wisdom comes through experience. And here's the thing. Say it with me. My experiences and the experiences of others. Right? We don't need to reinvent the wheel. We need to learn from people who failed in order that we would, not learn, we would learn not to repeat their same mistakes. Or we need to learn from our own failures in order to help each other. P- Peter failed, and Jesus said, Satan's desire to sift you as wheat. But when you come back around, Peter, in other words, I know you're going to fail, because this test is coming your way. So I see failure is, is what, where you're going to go, but I know you're going to come back around. When you come back around, strengthen your brothers. In other words, teach them what you went through and how you went through it. Teach them to overcome what you're, what you're going to go through. Fools find pleasure in understanding because they, fools find no pleasure in understanding because they delight in their own opinions. If you don't care about anybody else's insights or viewpoints, then you're a fool. You only want to hear yourself. Next slide. Last slide. How do we learn? We learn from others through books, audio, and video. You guys need to have mentors. You need to have people that are smarter than you. You say, I don't know anybody that's smarter than me. Well, the internet is full of people that are smarter than you. It's true. There's a lot of books out there. You can get a book on just about any subject. And find people who have succeeded. You want to learn to do marriage well? Well, then read books on, on Christian perspective books that, on how to give, do marriage well. You want to learn how to do business well? Whatever it is, you need a life coach or you need mentorship. You may not be able to sit down with whoever it is that you admire, but if they've written books, you can commune with them through the books that they've written. And it's, come on, it's true. Say this with me. Leaders, leaders. are readers. readers. I get Christians all the time tell me they don't like to read. God help us all. Jesus didn't make a video. He wrote a book, didn't he? Right? I mean, come on. We need to read. And even if you read, even if you have a problem reading, half the stuff's on audio. Most of you have 40, 50-minute commutes in the morning, 30 minutes at least. They call it Automobile University. It's what, you have a university in your automobile if you'll just listen to it. And put a 30-minute CD or put an hour or whatever it is. Get an audio. We, we got phones. We can whatever. Bluetooth. However it works. Works in your world. And just begin to, let, begin to let yourself be ministered to and built up. 30 minutes to work. 30 minutes at home. Who are you driving to work with? You can have a life coach sitting right beside you. You can have a pastor sitting right beside you. You can have a Bible. Somebody reading the Bible to you. Good Lord. We have the Bible on audio. You ever listen to 30 minutes of the Bible on audio? You're probably going to go through three books. I'm serious. You can go through like the entire book of Isaiah in like under a half an hour. Like 50 plus chapters. 60 plus chapters. It's true. I was playing it here when I was working. I looked at my watch. I was like, man, I've been through four prophetic books and it's like been an hour and a half. Play it in your car. We don't have an excuse. So then the last thing is, is like some of those of you who are indecisive, you need to say it with me. Make a decision. So here we have two different types of people. We have the person that's just always making decisions. Boom, 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 boom. I like red, I like black. No, I like blue, I think I like pink. No, you're just jumping all over the place. You're making rapid decisions with very little understanding attached to your decision. You know who you are, okay? So you're doing that. You're making all these random decisions. You need to slow down a little bit and get a little bit more info. Then there's a second group of people, and I would say this to you, you've got all the information you need. Or you've got all the information that's ever going to come. You need to make a decision. You understand that? So some people need to be, hey, just sit down for a couple minutes. And the other person needs a kick in the pants. It's like, make a decision. So you know, God works through imperfect decisions. He works through imperfect plans and imperfect decisions. And here's again, Paul at Thessalonica. He doesn't know what to do. And many times when you read in the Bible, God's given Paul all this clear direction. Man, Paul just gets a prophetic word, and boom, and the whole world lights up. But many times Paul stood in, un, in indecisive moments. And here again, he's at an indecisive moment. He's waiting, waiting, waiting. He's not getting a, a, a word from the Lord. And so he makes a decision. He said, when I could stand it no more, we thought it best to stay, with ourselves, stay, stay by ourselves in Athens. In other words, I've been waiting for an answer, but 
okay, the Lord's clearly not instructing us here, so we're just going to make this decision. And they made a decision. Just make a decision. Learn from it. Even if you make a bad decision, get in, make informed decisions, do the best that you can, follow what God says, and commune with him, find out where the issues are, move forward. You guys, anybody here, I mean, I'm, I'm, anybody ever here have driven something without power steering? You know what I'm talking about? A car without power steering? It is in, it's hard, thank you. It is incredibly difficult to steer. For those of you who have never driven a car without power steering, I encourage you to finally get into a car that doesn't have power steering one time and just try it out when the car is sitting still it is almost impossible to turn that thing You're like, but when the car is moving you can steer it very very easily so there's a lesson there god's going to work through motion he's going to power steer you when you start moving you're wondering why you can't change directions because you're sitting sitting still Law of, one of the laws of physics is whatever's in motion stays in motion. And that the energy to maintain the motion is far less than it is to get the motion going. You understand? So the amount of energy it takes to get something going is less than it is to keep something moving. So in other words, you're going to spend a lot less time and a lot less energy if you just keep moving forward. Make a decision and learn from it. All right? So I bless you guys. Thank you for staying and being a part of this. And I pray this blesses you. We're going to close. Hey, if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, I can't do a, a series or a message about it, making a decision without telling you about the greatest decision in the world. And that's a decision to surrender your life to Jesus. Surrender your heart. And a lot of people, if you're here this morning and you say, man, I'm not sure if I've ever done that, well, I'm talking to you. Or I think I did, I'm talking to you. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has risen from the dead, God will save you. The greatest decision you could make is to come out of your world and become a part of his. To come out of your sin, your fallenness, your brokenness, your false identities, and to come into his world. So we just say a prayer here. It's as easy as that. We do what the Bible says. We believe and we speak. You don't have to understand it. You can, you can believe something without fully understanding it. And so salvation is exactly like that. It's something that we can believe, and we don't have to fully understand it at the point of our belief. So if you're here this morning, and that's you, we're just going to pray. The church is going to pray together. I just want you to pray along with us and just open your heart. Just put your brain in neutral and open your heart and ask Jesus. I'll lead you in the prayer, and he's going to do what he promised. Let's just pray together. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a Savior. I may not understand it, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this time forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a prayer team. Lily's there, so you guys need prayer. We're going to have prayer people available. But also, I want to bless you one more time. Just receive it. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine down upon you. And may He be gracious to you and give you peace. And may you forever live within His favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.